We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at LJ Hybe and on Facebook. This week's guest is Chris Yoko. Driven by an indefatigable determination to make the world a better place, Chris is focused on helping people and the organizations they belong to pave the road for a more utopia world. He primarily does this by helping these like-minded organizations build and champion themselves using their most powerful asset, their web presence. When Chris isn't fearlessly leading, you'll likely find him playing hockey, reading, or playing and exploring with his incredible wife and two daughters. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I am super excited as we just kind of briefly chatted about marketing and hockey are like two of my passions. So we're going to have a great conversation today. Absolutely. It's not often I get to talk to somebody where the the Venn diagram overlaps in both of those areas. (laughs) Exactly. It is a small window, but it does happen. Um, Let's talk about websites a little bit. How does someone's website tie into their impact? Sure. So uh, I think one of the interesting things is, and I'm sure, you know, the most of the people that listen to anyone who's built a website or been part of a web design agency certainly has heard the, ah, our business, it doesn't really, you know, the websites are brochure. It doesn't really affect our business, whatever the case might be. And we would hear that all the time. Uh, and we'd, you know, still go through, build the process, build out a website for a client. <clears throat> and within a couple of weeks to months, you'd end up getting a follow-up note around like, oh, you know, what's like an interesting coincidence is we get so many more word of mouth referrals now that we redid the website than before we did. Mm-hmm. And then you have to give them the good news, bad news of like, the good news is like, you've always been getting those word of mouth referrals. The, the bad news is that with your old site, people are just checking you out and then decided not to follow through with it. And ultimately, now they're following through. And we got to the point where we actually partnered with a um, uh, research firm to do basically a study on how people, whenever it comes to word of mouth referrals, what kind of resources they look at after the introduction has been made or the referral has been made, but before they follow through with it. And the number one uh, most trusted resource was the website. Uh, The only thing that was trusted more, actually, it was the second, is... um, the person who actually made the referral. So if you really trust the person that made the referral, of course, that makes sense. You'd kind of trust their word over anything else. But second in line was the website. And over 92% of people decided that they would look at the website before they decided if they were going to take action on their referral. And if they looked at the website and they looked at, you know, Yelp reviews, Facebook reviews, social media, whatever the case might be, they believed and trusted the website over any of those third-party sites, which I thought was an interesting thing to learn because I thought kind of third-party review and credibility would be trusted over and above what the website says because anyone can say anything about themselves in a website. Um, So the long story to answer your, your short question there is we noticed that this is how people tend to relate to organizations. And so as we started to migrate our efforts to support those types of organizations, we felt really positively aligned with that are making a positive impact in the world. We realized with them by a long shot, there are more people interacting with that website and trusting what that website says than interact with that 
organization in any other capacity. There are more people on the website than buy product, than become members, than attend events, than donate, than do any other thing. And what we also found is that whenever we do our job correctly, help them restructure that and project who they truly want to become with their web presence, that the way the audience then responds usually allows them to either grow their audience, become more discoverable and be shared more frequently or deepen their experience with their existing audience. And sometimes a combination of both. And then ultimately when you follow that through its natural arc, there's a a huge kind of virtuous cycle that comes from that because now they're able to engage with more people, which means more events, more donations, more customers, more clients, more patients, whatever the case might be. They're making a bigger impact. They're changing their community, their industry, and then ultimately having a really big ripple effect and ripple impact on the world. And so uh, in that way, that's kind of the, the mental algebra that we do to kind of understand that we think web presence is the single greatest lever an organization has to make an impact in the world. That's awesome. Of course, I'm going to say that because I'm in the same spot that you are. <laughs> but I, one, your research is fascinating. Um, and I am actually surprised the same way that you were with the website having more um, trust as opposed to reviews online. Because a lot of what I'm reading is saying, you know, reviews are a greater impact um, in that decision-making process. So that's really fascinating information. that you Yeah. And I also, I wonder how much of that is, you know, a lot of the people that were subject to our study were people that were mostly in the kind of B2B or at least like organization to organization world. Sure. Whereas I'm sure if it was a restaurant or a home contract or something like that, those, you know, you'd probably get flipped in terms of importance. But I was surprised that anyone you know, would trust the website over and above anything third party. Although I guess once you start to hear how Yelp and Angie's List and a couple of those got caught skewing reviews and stuff, sure. if you if you line their pockets, like maybe that's not yep. such a surprising yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's really, really good insights that you're sharing. So what role do companies play within a cause? I think that's an interesting one because the, you know, we talked about how, you know, an organization makes an impact. And whenever we think about some of the causes we believe in most, there's obviously the role that the website plays in helping support that organization and helping them execute on that cause. And what I think is interesting now is we're getting to a place where no matter what side or where on the political spectrum you find yourself is we're getting to a place where technology moves so much faster than our government was meant to move. And of course, a lot of NGOs and nonprofits receive, whether they receive grants or funding, whatever the case might be through the government, they're slowed down as well. And so what I I think we're starting to see is the role of kind of these custodial companies. uh, And I don't mean that in terms of like janitorial services, but those that want to play like a role of custodian over our population, over our environment, our climate, our people, our mental health, whatever the case might be, are starting to become a little bit more self-aware. And as you you know, you take a look now, even with the way organizations position themselves online, a big differentiator is, you know, it, it kind of catches with that, uh, what is it, like cause-related marketing and social mm-hmm. corporate responsibility. And there's a lot of gimmicky words that are associated with it, but ultimately it comes down to, you know, caring about your community and the area you're in. And as we're seeing those other organizations and regulatory bodies get slowed down and not be able to adapt to the times, I'm inspired by the fact that we have more people and more organizations stepping up to fulfill that niche and hopefully take that on. I think it's going to be interesting to see 
where that goes in the future, because obviously I think Patagonia is one of the the best examples of that Mm -hmm. where, you know, they're certainly standing up for what they believe in, um, putting their money where their mouth is in in terms of protecting those landscapes and continuing to do more and more in that regard. And I think people are beginning to find that, oh yeah, if we want to continue to, to enjoy the land we're, you know, supporting, and that is essential to our organization's survival, then we've got to be the ones to do something about it. I think that's beginning to pop up in more and more areas and seeing the way that organizations rally around these, these causes and these impacts is both enlightening and a little bit shocking. But I, I think it points to a lot of what we can do as marketers and communicators to help people understand the way that they can position their organization, business, or even their own personal brands around these things that they believe in and have that exist, you know, and coexist with profitability and they don't have to be at the the risk of one another. And you're starting to see like a little bit of what I think is good versus evil play out in, in terms of like where companies are uh, in terms of their headspace and what their focus is. Yeah, totally. I love how you framed that. I think that you did a great job just laying out the ideas here and, and really the evolution of what's why, um, you know, corporate responsibility or, or showcasing care for your community is so important and, and, and what's happening today. But what comes next for companies? So that's what I think is really the interesting, like, turning point is, and I, as much as I dislike uh, Amazon as a company in terms of some of their behaviors, I think mm-hmm. they're one of the interesting ones to look at in terms of where this goes, because it's the one that reminds me most of, of like Ford uh, way back in the day when Henry Ford was like, oh, I'm going to need more assembly workers. So I'll build a school to start educating people to be good team members and employees and at this point, you know, with hindsight being 2020, a lot of people can be like, oh, he's taking advantage of people by educating them to get them just so he could use their labor. But when you looked at the alternatives people had, like he was certainly giving people a leg up. Um, I, I see some similar things happening with Amazon in terms of what's next. We're like, they're starting to look at their own internal healthcare organization. And basically that's how they practice. That's how they stood up what AWS, you know, that was just originally like kind of their internal cloud offering. Mm -hmm. And they test a lot of those things internally because they have the scale to do so. But what I think is interesting is if you start to realize your government isn't doing what you need to do and you can look at a multi-generational game plan in terms of an organization, which, you know, Amazon is large enough to be looking at things at that scale. And I think all of us are going to get to that place more quickly than we probably realize. You start to think about, okay, well, maybe it makes sense for me to have my own, speaking as Amazon, my own healthcare organization. It makes sense for me because if the government's not taking good enough care of my employees, then I'm going to go ahead and make sure that I take care of my employees. Oh, and if it turns out that I really need to have a lot of, you know, highly intelligent, adaptable people. And I begin to realize the education system isn't doing that. And I can no longer rely on or higher institution learning has become too expensive for that to be feasible. Then I'm going to start to invest in providing that kind of training to my team members and employees. And then you even see it with um, some organizations where it's, you know, they pay for food and lunch and school and all of these things. I really begin to wonder how much of that we're going to see start to become uh, siloed almost like the the vertical um, integration we saw with organizations way back in like the, what was it, like 20s and 30s, where, oh, great, I own the railroad, I own the mills, I own, like, it's just from beginning to top, but instead of playing with raw materials now, it's, you know, everything is inside people's heads. So it's, you know, 
oh, great, we're going to take care of people and we'll buy out condo buildings and give them corporate, you know, living quarters and transportation and mm-hmm. education and healthcare and all these things to build that up. And then it starts to look a lot more like a government. I think that starts to become really interesting, especially because companies can move money around more easily than a government can across borders. And how does a government that's geared to be this slow, steady march keep up with something like that? And when it doesn't keep up, I, I certainly understand why we, the people that are running organizations, need to be able to find better ways to take care of our people and adapt. And hopefully you rally the type of people that really believe what you believe and hopefully organizations begin to skew towards really taking good care of their people, um, especially if that's the, the world we look in, because it it could look really dystopian if it's not done right. Uh, if it's just all about kind of the value of your labor instead of the, the value of you as a person. Sure. Yeah. Wow. That's really... It's a little rambly, but that's kind of what I yeah, see that's no, coming next. It's interesting. I mean, I, and to some extent, I'm, I'm seeing some of that happening um, here in Milwaukee. Uh, just a, And I've been seeing some headlines too, even of not just Amazon, but some other companies that are like playing with the idea of their own, getting their own healthcare systems in place because it's a better alternative than what we have right now (laughs) to some extent. Well, absolutely. And this is a little off topic, but like when you think about insurance as a mechanism, I I have this conversation with people all the time where it was like, if it started off with like, you know, Lori, you and I are part of a community and we've got 10 people and we start to realize like, oh, if one of our farms burns down, it affects all of us negatively. So we're all going to pitch some money in. And if somebody has a tragedy like that, we'll all pitch in to help them out because it's for the greater good. And our little town grows and we get to the place where it's like, oh, now we have a hundred people and we're all pitching in and it's becoming a little bit crazier to just manage the the money that people are chipping in and how it gets paid out and what it gets paid out for. So we're going to appoint somebody to be in charge of that. And the question I always ask is, you know, how would you compensate that person? Yeah. And and a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'd give them a salary or something. And I'm like, exactly. You wouldn't say like, hey, we're going to give you a million dollars a year Uh and whatever you don't spend, you get to keep because guess what? They don't care about the town anymore at that point. And so if you in-house it to a company, they're not looking to recognize margin on the insurance product. They're looking to make sure they have healthy, you know, happy people that can contribute to making the main pillar of their business operate better. And then all of the, you know, associated kind of BS and administrative levels and layers and false negotiations and stuff with insurance kind of go away because that's not where they want to make their margin. They just want to make sure they're taking care of their people. And I think that's uh, certainly a thing for the better. Yeah. Well, and I mean, in today's extremely competitive job market, as far as it's more of an employee's market, you have to be competitive as an employer with your offerings and showing that you care for the community, you care for the people. Um, And so all of these are important in becoming kind of standard tools in the toolbox of having a business. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And it's also, I mean, it starts to get to the place where you're like, okay, like you got to be real crafty to find the right ways to compete with like the larger, Mm -hmm. still sometimes slower moving organizations, but the ones that have, you know, more data and more things that they can kind of draw from to figure out what the the best concepts are to lay out across a whole employee, you know, sector. Yeah, totally. Good. All right. So the purpose of my podcast is really to focus on networking. And my goal is to alleviate any fears that someone might have when they hear that word networking. So, <laughs> Chris, can you share with our listeners 
one of your most successful or favorite networking experiences that you've had? Uh, yeah. So, uh, my favorite networking experience is I'm actually a part of, uh, I'm just outside of DC and there's a group here called cadre DC. So it's just cadre DC.com. And, um, founded by, uh, a couple of folks who realize that, you know, there's a lot of those, like you said, there's a reason people sometimes have a negative connotation with that word networking and where it's like, Oh, I'm going to show up with paper cuts because so many people are throwing business cards at me. <laughs> and uh, they wanted to flip that on the head. So it was a little bit more around like, okay, what can I do for other people? And, you know, karmically that comes back around. And that's been a really fascinating and great group to be a part of, not only because of the friendships I've developed there, but because just changing that model has made it a much more comfortable and safer place to network more as I think humans and less as only business people are only showing that aspect, even though that might be what you lead with. Oh, I think that's great. It's not just about trying to get a sale at the end of the day. Exactly. I like how you said network with other humans. <laughs> that's yeah, what for we sure. Are. So how do you stay in front of or nurture these relationships that you've built? Uh, that's, you know, something I, I think all of us struggle with. And so there's, you know, this whole, Evernote file full of great ideas. Uh, but as far as things that are ex actually executed, um, having people join us for other events that are going on has been a really good one. So rather than we're working on setting up some things around our own types of events, but being able to say like, hey, we live again near a city where there are great speakers and opportunities to see things that, you know, come through pretty regularly. So kind of piggybacking on some of those is a great way just to make sure you stay in touch with people, even if they can't make it, you know, the, the fact that you want to offer to take them as a guest is a, I think a huge deal. Um, and then beyond that is just not overlooking the, the power of a simple cup of coffee or grabbing lunch, even if it's once a year or so, just to be able to kind of keep in touch with people and see how they're doing. And I think that stuff goes a long way. So it's, it's kind of simple stuff, but uh, I find, you know, that's the basics are the basics for a reason. I think um, those are all great and really just reach. I love that first you opened with, you have a Evernote file with a ton of ideas. I mean, <laughs> that like, yeah, we're like, oh, we're of like ideas, like, yeah. ideas, ideas, but um, yeah, I love that, you know, reaching out to someone and inviting them to an event, I think is extremely impactful because it tells them that you were thinking about them. Um, and, and even just the simple, Hey, let's, let's reconnect and grab a cup of coffee. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, Definitely sure. important to stay in front of and nurture those relationships. So what advice then, would you offer the business professional who's looking to grow their network? Oh, to grow their network. Well, I'll step back in one other thing around your, your last question is also, you know, if you get together with six other people for breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever the case might be, is just inviting other people in your network that you think, oh, they might, you know, get along. If you know they have areas in common, like that's always nice. But even if they don't, you know, like you and I have hockey in common, we didn't know that until just recently. So you never know where those kind of cool intersections are going to come up. So even mm -hmm. if you're, you know, oh, I'm really packed for time and how do I meet with more people at once is, you know, have six people out for, for lunch or something and know that it's okay if they chat with each other too. Um, I think that's a good one. In terms of aiming to grow a network, uh, nothing seems to replace just getting out there and doing it. And a lot of people think like, Oh, I got to go to the classic like networking events and stuff like that. Um, I, I took a little bit of a different tack and I was lucky enough really early in my career to get an opportunity to do this, but just about every really good opportunity I've had has come from 
me reaching out to a couple of people that I didn't know or barely knew, or maybe bumped into once and asking, you know, Hey, it looks like you've built something really cool, accomplished something really cool, whatever the case might be, something that I admire. Would you be game for, you know, me to buy a, a drink, um, catch up and maybe learn a little bit more about how you did that and mostly asking questions and listening. And I found that that goes a real long way, not only in learning more and being able to educate yourself, but in better understanding who people are and how they work and people like to be listened to. So don't be afraid to just go out there and don't feel like you have to be selling or even that you have to have an outcome other than like, oh, great, I learned a fair amount about this person and what they did and how I can apply that to to myself as an objective for a meeting. I've heard a lot of, especially like sales trainings focused on like always like go in with an objective and make sure if you don't get the first objective, you get a fallback objective. Um, but I think sometimes just connecting with a person as a person is a, a certainly satisfactory objective. Nice. I agree with that. Um, finding some common ground is really the way that I try to, to tackle things at least. Um, yeah, for sure. So digital networking or traditional networking, which one do you find more value in? Um, I mean, I think I find, I mean, I've certainly found value in both. Like I've met people, especially it's a weirder time now, social media wise, just because it's so ubiquitous and so many people have it. Um, but it was new and like really wild. There was some interesting opportunity to find people that you would have otherwise never met. And so, oh geez, like when Twitter was six months old, I ended up meeting a guy named Matt Galizzi, who I'm in DC. He was out just outside of LA and uh, we ended up keeping in touch for years and ended up working together a couple years later after nothing more than like exchanging a couple of tweets back and forth a year. And mm -hmm. then um, through some people that he knew out in LA, I met uh, our, the, one of the, uh, our web developers in our team, Sarah Lewis, who is incredible. She's outside of San Diego. She introduced me to Megan Mori, who is on our team as one of our web producers, and she's awesome. And so you see like, you know, they're not, I don't think it's too cut and dry because one certainly flows into the other. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's just a little bit more a matter of now you have to put in the effort on either. Whereas before you could kind of get away with less effort on digital. And now it's such a crowded, noisy place that you've got to put just as much, maybe more effort into digital to break through as you do in person. Cause obviously a face-to-face -face interaction lasts longer than a, a tweet or a Facebook post does. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a good observation that it was less time intensive um, a few years ago where now it's you know, if you're, if you're not on for a day or two, you, you can miss so much. <laughs> Absolutely. And just, I mean, the number of, you know, you only meet so many people in a day usually, whereas, mm -hmm. and it used to be a novelty to be on Twitter and have somebody, you know, at you and you're like, oh, that's really cool. And to some extent, you know, that can still happen. But for anyone who's really engaged and active on the platform, they might see hundreds or thousands, like there's no way that breaks through like it used to. And so, um, you know, you just got to be really mindful of where you want to put your time and effort. Yeah, most definitely. So Chris, if you could go back to your 20 year old self, what would you tell yourself to do more of, less of, or differently with regards to your professional career? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I knew about this one coming and I still thought I'd have more prepared than I do. Um, <laughs> so uh, what I think is really interesting is, you know, whenever you're in your 20s, there are certain things that you take for granted because you're like, oh, that's the only experience you've had with that. Um, so I had a chance to work with some amazing people uh, whenever I was, I think I was technically 21, so I'm cheating a little bit. But we just assumed like, oh, we work together really well. This must just be what it's like when adults work together. And 
it wasn't until we got into our later 20s, early 30s that we realized like, oh, that's not the case. It just turns out we work really well together. And that's something that kind of we have unique to ourselves. Um, so I think a big part of it would be, you know, don't take those relationships for granted and seek out more of them where you can. Um, the thing to stop doing would be to kind of stop fretting about it quite so much. Um, and then the thing to, um, but I guess start or continue doing would be appropriate or acute hustle. You know, you make your own luck, but it doesn't mean you have to be in all the places all the time just to be there at the right time, be in the right place at the right time and pay attention to what kind of outcomes you want to achieve. And the biggest takeaway I could give myself is just think about what you want to accomplish, what that end goal, whether it's an and purposeful exit strategy or a non-purposeful exit strategy, or here's the objective and work backwards from that. Cause a lot of times it's easy to get into something and then follow whatever path opportunity gives you. But if you're not in control of that path and you don't know where it leads, you can find yourself some, some, some weird places as, a, as you go through your journey. Yeah, I think that last one, I mean, they're all really good um, reflections, but I would say are good advices, pieces of advice for anyone that's kind of in their 20s right now. But that last one, um, think about the end goal. I'm, I'm a huge fan of seven habits of highly effective people. And I would say that's my, my favorite goal is to start with the end in mind. Yeah, absolutely. So we've all heard of the six degrees of separation. Chris, who would be the one person that you'd love to connect with? And do you think you could do it within the sixth degree? Ooh, within the six degrees. Um, so the one person I think I would love to connect with is uh, I'm a huge fan of Neil Gaiman's writing. So I would love to bump into him. And I have to feel like there's probably six degrees that would, that would get me to connected to him. Where do you think you'd start? Um, interesting that so through a group I'm a part of called um, Mastermind Talk, started by a guy named uh, Jason Gaynard uh, out of Toronto. It's a group of some incredible entrepreneurs, and one of the people he had at uh, a couple of events, he had two, he had uh, Tucker Max was a part of it. And I know he's published some books, so he probably knows a book publisher who would probably know or know someone who knows Neil Gaiman would be my guess, or um, Tim Ferriss or Joey Coleman, like each of them also run in some of those circles. So I feel like it would be something through there, but I can't mentally get beyond probably that second or third <laughs> degree before I know what that jump would look like. But it, that's probably the best shot towards uh, six degrees. Nice. Well done. Okay. Um, so here's your chance to interview me. What is something that you would like to ask me? Um, so uh, what I thought was really fascinating is you talk about, you know, obviously the name is social capital. And mm -hmm. so you talk about that. When you think about relationships and networking, what do you think is the the overall kind of role of social capital in, well, let's say like, you know, business relationships, but if you want to apply it to relationships as a whole, like how do you kind of see that uh, deposit and withdrawal kind of version of capital working? Yeah. I mean, I think um, advocacy and support is kind of the overarching theme in that you want, um, everyone wants cheerleaders to some extent and wants to feel loved and wanted, but um, we also have to give it. So that's where reciprocity comes into play. And 
regardless if it's a professional relationship or a personal one or, you know, whatever micro circle of activity, <laughs> mm-hmm. like the hockey community, you know, I mean, there's, there's different levels of, of giving and, and getting. And um, I think being authentic in your act- actions with regards to that advocacy and support is probably the most important component at the end of the day. Good deal. And then what do you think it means to grow your social capital? Um, you know, the, the depth of your relationships, it really allows you to be a greater resource to others. So the more um, quality individuals that you're connected with that you have that uh, trusting relationship with, the better that you can be a resource to those that you're just kind of getting to know and build that relationship. Interesting. I really like the way you, you phrase that is, you know, thinking about it as a resource and what makes you valuable as a resource. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Good questions. I like those. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Any, the, yeah. any final word of advice to offer our listeners with regards to growing and supporting your network? Um, I mean, in terms of, yeah, supporting and growing the network is just carving out time to, to go do it. It's one of those things that uh, the, you know, again, playing off the, the term social capital. I mean, the compound interest on relationships is probably greater than just about anything you'll do, but you have to be intentional about it. You've got to carve out the time to, to do it. And the longer you kind of, oh, I'm busy. I can't do that. I should bump that. And, you know, those things, they feel like they're an appropriate trade-off in the short term. And sometimes they are, but in the long term, they can certainly catch up with you. So where possible, make it a regular part of your routine and uh, commit to it. And you'll see, I think, a lot of benefits to not only the network you have, but to, to your point, Lori, is how you can also become a more important resource to others is because you're going to know more about what's going on with those folks that are a part of your network and your extended network and be a better you know, facilitator and communicator. Yeah, that's great. Fantastic. Thank you so much. If anyone was interested in getting in contact with you, what is the best way they can reach you? Uh, so personally, I'm at chrisyoko.com and then the company is yokoco. So that's Y-O-K-O-C-O.com. All right. And we will include those links uh, in the show notes. Thank you, Chris, so much for taking the time to connect with us. Thanks for having me. Great being here. It was a lot of fun. This wraps up our episode of Social Capital. A huge thank you to Chris for taking the time to share his stories. Join us next week for another great guest as we continue the conversation on networking and building your community. If you need me, send an email to Lori at socialcapitalpodcast.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.